Hello, this is Calvin Driscoll, and I want to welcome you to the Real Leaders Podcast. This podcast is specifically designed to equip you with godly leadership skills that can be applied to all areas of your life. Throughout this podcast, my dad, Pastor Mark Driscoll, will be sitting down with some world-renowned pastors and ministry leaders to learn what it really means to be a real leader. For more content like this, we encourage you to visit realfaith.com. Now, enjoy today's Real Leader Podcast. Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with the uh, little series, kind of a verbal process through of some stuff I had in my notebook. And I've been talking to pastors, ministry leaders, denominational and network heads, um, fundraising experts, um, just trying to ask, okay, what is, what is the post-COVID church? Like, what is that? And uh, it's been two years, and if you're saying, well, you know, it's just gonna bounce back to where it was, I, I would say, you, you're, you're not doing good. Like, you're not dealing with reality. Um, most churches are running 30 to 60%. Um, there's only, we talked about it, maybe 5% of churches in America that are up and to the right, meaning their uh, attendance and giving is the same or higher than pre-COVID two years ago. Um, and the question is, well, is this a crisis? It could be. It also could be a tremendous opportunity. So here, here's what we know. Um, momentum has gained slowly and it's lost quickly. Um, a friend of mine some years ago, I was talking to him, his dad, uh, he's a pastor and a great guy, evangelist. Uh, I think his dad was an engineer uh, for uh, the space shuttle. And you remember when we would launch the space shuttle up and uh, he asked me a question. He said, uh, do you know how much fuel the space shuttle burns? And I was like, obviously not. Um, he said, well, to get into orbit, it burns about a swimming pool of fuel a second. And once it's in orbit, it gets the same gas mileage as a Suburban. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's a great illustration. And that's what his engineer dad said. The point is this, for years, there were lots of churches that were in orbit, meaning they got really good gas mileage. And uh, you're like, how is that church still open? Like the parking lot is empty, there's nobody there. Well, it becomes very simple. You, uh, you sell off some of the property to get cash, um, you start renting out and leasing your facility to as many organizations and ministries as possible. Um, you give your pastor a pay cut or you make them go by vocational or you go to a volunteer team teaching model. You do deferred maintenance on your building so you stop working on things. I think it's Tom Rayner at uh, Lifeway says, you should have in your budget about five to $7 a year per square foot just for building maintenance, you know, AC and all of that. I was talking to a pastor this week. He was doing a turnaround church and uh, he said he it was here in Arizona. Uh, the first day he showed up, they had something like 50 air conditioning units on the property and half of them wouldn't even turn on. And so as air conditioners would die in Arizona, you just lock that door and don't use that room. So even the building that we inherited at Trinity Church, the whole kids building was completely unused. Um, there were no kids. There was uh, storage. And then the back half, I kid you not, it was a wood shop where the old guys took over the kids building, put in band saws and table saws, and they were doing woodworking projects. It was just a disaster. We, we, we did church hoarders. We're just, you know, extreme church makeover. We've thrown right maybe a hundred semi-sized dumpsters at this point to just bring back this old church. So deferred maintenance sets in. And then rather than hiring an electrician, somebody volunteers and they jerry-rig the wiring. And rather than fixing the plumbing, somebody jerry-rigs the plumbing. And all of a sudden, 
over time, a church is still open, but it, it's, it's been in orbit. In the same way, you know, if there's a satellite right now in orbit, it's just going to continue in orbit indefinitely. And what happened in COVID, everything that was in orbit fell out of orbit. All of a sudden it's like, okay, there's nobody here. They closed us, people are gone, kids aren't coming. Uh, you know, what are we doing? And so the last few years, it's just this, this toxic combination of variables, uh, a really contentious political cycle where America is completely polarized. And, uh, and there's no more civil discourse or mediating or meeting in the middle. I mean, it is, it is just, it's like a, a really ugly divorce where mom and dad hate each other and the kids take sides and the whole family's just at war. That's what the political season has been like. You add Black Lives Matter, critical theory, social justice, the woke joke folk, add the other side, Christian nationalism and, um, and this, uh, this thought that somehow America is the center of prophecy and world history. And I mean, the average pastor literally just feels like they are in a car that went through an intersection and got T-boned and spun out and then got hit by another car and spun out and got hit by another car and spun out. And, and the pastor's at the wheel just like, when does it stop? And I don't even know where I am. And I just feel beat up and I feel disoriented. Um, and for a lot of the churches then, they just fell out of orbit. It's like, well, people will just come. Not anymore. Now they have the perfect excuse to stay home. We just gave a whole generation of Christians who didn't really want to go to church a perfect excuse. Stay home and save lives. And they're like, that's great. So most people, they went home and they, they're not coming back to church. And in those areas in our country or world where it's sort of traditional and it's part of your civic duty, it's part of Christendom or, um, or it's part of... Uh, kind of American heritage to be part of a church. Well, now that sort of cultural guilt or expectation is lifted. And once you don't go to church for an extended period of time, it becomes your new normal and your new habit. So a lot of those churches that had been going for a long time, they fell out of orbit. They have no money. Um, they, they, they have a little more money than they should because the government has been playing Monopoly and just printing it and handing it out. And so most churches, their, their attendance is down, but they're giving, it, so let's say this is pre-COVID. Um, let's say you are a uh, church of, let's say 100 pre-COVID. The average church is running 30 to 60%. So post-COVID, you're 30 to 60 people, but your giving is usually doing a little bit better than your attendance and bouncing back from COVID. And so what that's doing, it's providing a little bit of a lifeline and it's extending the uh, the descent out of orbit, it's making it a little bit slower. And at the end of the day, I believe this could be a real grace of God if a church and its leadership would come to the conclusion like, we were in orbit and now we've fallen out of orbit. And we're not gonna survive unless we can get enough energy, time, money, leadership, courage, anointing of the Holy Spirit to get back into orbit. And most churches only went into orbit once, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they've been living in orbit. Now that they've fallen out of orbit, they've got to find a way to get back into orbit. Now this is where, because there is a little more money available than momentum right now, 
it's a window of time for churches to run to reality as quickly as possible and to ask, how are we going to honor our founder, but have for us a future? Now, what we are seeing uh, is a lot of the churches that fell out of orbit, their buildings are going back to the denominations and being sold. And uh, this is, to me, rather sad because, number one, it means that the people who purchased that building to be a church, it is now being just turned into an asset and cashed in and will no longer be used as a church. Furthermore, those buildings tend to be historically grandfathered in to where they already pre-qualify, so they don't need to come up to current standards of you know, a building. So if you're gonna go build a church, you know, here's all of the expectations from the government. Uh, my dad was a building inspector and a builder, so there's this list of expectations. But if it's a pre-existing church, you don't need to meet all of the current zoning requirements. You just get to continue to use it as a church. So once a church is lost, the only way to replace it is by building something that is way more expensive um, and has to go through a zoning process and usually hearings. And so these, these church buildings, and, and we, and let me say this too, a lot of pastors really shot themselves in the face at the beginning of COVID when they went online, they said, church isn't a building, we don't need to meet together, we're doing church online. It's like, well, ecclesia, we talked about this in a previous episode, it does mean gathering or assembly. The Bible says it's not good to be alone. The Bible says that we should not forsake the gathering together. The Bible does say that the kingdom of God is like a family where everybody gets together and we're supposed to live kingdom down, not culture up. And in addition, uh, the Bible talks about the laying on of hands and encouraging one another, and that means we're doing life together. And so if you went to your people and you said, we don't need to do church together, you just need to do church online, uh, you were wrong. You could do ministry online, but you can't do church online. And then when your church reopens, you're telling your people, hey, come back. And they're like, you told us we don't have to come. And so for a short-term expectation, you killed a long-term opportunity. And some of you just literally need to go back to people and say, hey guys, at the beginning, I told you we don't need to get together. We do. And I'm sorry, I, I made a mistake. And you know, but we do need to be a family. And here's the big idea. A building isn't a church, but a church needs to meet somewhere. In the same way, I've got five kids, and you know what? We need to live somewhere. Now, we can live in an apartment, we can live in a house, we can live you know, in a school bus and travel the country like the hippies. You could live in a couple of different places, but at the end of the day, a family needs to have a house. You gotta live somewhere. All a church building is, it's a house for a family. And if it's belonged to God's people for generations, it would be nice if it could continue to be used by God's people. And if God's people paid for it, it would be nice if the spiritual children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren could inherit that asset. And once that building is lost, uh, then again, to replace it is an incredible amount of time and expense that a previous generation already invested in. So I've always had a heart for older church buildings, probably because I'm also raised Catholic and I like the architecture and I like the comeback story. and. I like if God's people build something, let's fix it up for them. We did that at Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. We got a historic 50-year-old building. We got the keys on the 50th anniversary of the grand opening of the building, which was Easter 1966. And so that was our first informational meeting. We put a lot of time and energy and money into it. We're trying to build a park out front and really turn it into a beautiful boutique destination. And God's been very, very gracious. But a lot of these buildings are gonna be forever gone because the denomination that is involved 
ultimately owns all or part of that real estate asset. And so what the struggling dead and dying churches do, they'll take the church that's the most dead, they'll sell it, and then they'll take the money and redistribute it. Um, we call this cannibalism. Uh, hey, I'm hungry, you're hungry, and there's Tony, let's eat Tony. That's a very short-term solution. Uh, my church is struggling, your church is struggling, let's eat that church. Well, that's a very short-term solution. Um, there will, however, be coming, I believe, and this is where there's a little bit of hope, an incredible opportunity for church planners and replanners. And that is that though 15% of churches in America are dead, according to one of the leading attorneys I've talked to, he's saying it takes six to 12 months for those dead and dying churches to reset their governance, to figure out their governance and bylaws, to clean up their membership roles, to get their board figured out, to get their lawyers involved so they can actually make a vote to dissolve the organization, to give away the asset or to merge with another church. And so the point is with a lot of churches in a decline cycle, a lot of churches not bouncing back pre-COVID, but still having a little bit of money, it buys them a little bit of time to take that asset of the church building and say, how can we give it to someone who can get us back into orbit? And that usually is one of two things. It's a church planner who comes in and says, new church, new leader, new governance, to quote Jesus, new wineskin. We're gonna take this and we're gonna give it a future. Or a replanter, that is someone who comes in and says, the church isn't dead, but if it doesn't make some adjustments, it will be, it's not too late. Uh, the patient is not terminal. They are sick and they are unwell, but if we care for them, they could actually get healthy and have a future. And so I believe um, in my lifetime early on, when I first got saved, the hot thing was like the youth pastor because he got his own service and band and kind of got to do what he wanted. And then it was kind of the church within a church guy. The church within a church was like, college, young adults, you know, kind of hip, cool, young. Sometimes they were gonna be the successor and someday take over for the senior pastor. A lot of those guys ended up going out and being church planners because they're independent and rebellious by nature and they wanna do their own thing. So then it kind of went from high school student pastor to uh, church within a church, and then it became church plant. So this, these couple generations of guys just kind of, well, I'm only working with kids. Well, I want to add college and students and young adults. Well, we have enough money and momentum and energy. We just want to have our own church. So this led to church planning. So for a while, church planning was all the rage. And the young, aggressive, entrepreneurial alpha leaders, they want to go plant churches, plant churches. So networks rise up, which is complementing denominations, which tend not to be very entrepreneurial, but they tend to have the buildings and the money. So how do we get the resources from the denomination, but the coaching and the networking and the assessing for church planting? And I think church planting still has a great opportunity. And some of these dead and dying churches and some of these um, buildings and churches that have fallen out of orbit are good candidates for entrepreneurial church planners. Uh, but the problem is that oftentimes that church planner is young and that church is old and that church planner is aggressive and that church is passive and that church planner has big faith and that church has big fear. And so it can be that issue of new wine, old wineskins. And so what I'm saying is that the future turn and what may be coming in the church post COVID is church replanting. And that is somebody who can come in and love the people who are there but then lead into the future. They're able to bridge the past with what is to come. And there are a lot of churches that honestly, if they had a church replanting opportunity, uh, if they could go to an organization and say, we wanna have a future, how do we do that? If, if there was a leader, if there was a network, if there was an agency, and I believe these are coming up, and I believe this is what is the next turn, 
that comes in and say, well, let me look at your governance and bylaws. How do you guys make decisions? What, what actually does it say? Is it accurate or do we need to clean it up? Okay, what is your board structure? Is this the right people to make the decision? Okay, what's your cash flow? You know, how long do you have of a runway before your plane goes off a cliff before it gets back into orbit? And then is able to meet with the people, love them, actually have a bit of the heart funeral of, okay, hey, you know, the way things were is not the way things are going to be, but you know, we do believe in Christianity and death and resurrection. So just because some things are gonna die doesn't mean it's gonna be worse, it actually could be new and better and get those people who are there to start thinking about not just how they like to go to church, but what kind of church they wanna leave for their grandkids when they're gone. And the replanter is different. He's a hybrid between a traditional pastor who loves the people and an entrepreneurial church planter who starts something from scratch. He comes in and he loves the people and then he positions the resources and the people for a better future. So what I think is happening, if I was a young leader, I'm not young anymore, but if I was a young leader, I would be looking at those replanting opportunities. I would be looking at how to get a building and a people that do love Jesus and pray and to use that as the beginning for getting back into orbit. And uh, the reason why I feel so incredibly passionate about this is um, if all we do is just start new churches but we don't reallocate some of the opportunities and resources, I think then we're making it much more hard on young entrepreneurial leaders to have a good future and for ch churches to have, quite frankly, uh, a future uh, for them and for themselves. And the last thing I would say is if, if you're one of those churches or you're on that board or you're that pastor and you're like, you know what, we were in orbit and we fell out. And we thought by now that, you know, attendance would have bounced back. But you know, we're doing okay because money's not too bad. What I'm telling you is just looking at the economic future of our country and world I think that there is reality coming. I don't think that the kind of money that has been dumped into the economy is gonna continue forever. And maybe this is just a window of opportunity that God has given you in your church to say, we have a little bit of money, we have some people, we have a building, maybe it has deferred maintenance or needs. This is a little window for us to pivot into our future and to do something great. Otherwise, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to fall out of orbit and we're gonna spend all of our fuel and then ultimately it's a crash. And so I think there is a, a great window of opportunity here. I think there is a tremendous window of opportunity. And the question is, uh, does your leadership team have the courage to prayerfully consider what that future might look like and to hand that opportunity to someone else? And so I think in God's providence, we could be looking at a massive generational shift of leaders. As I said in the previous episode, 38% of church pastors are looking at leaving ministry. The majority of churches are declined. Their attendance and giving is down from pre-COVID. And what that means is that most churches have fallen out of orbit and most pastors have fallen out of orbit. And there is this window of opportunity. And I just hope and pray that we use it to reinvest in the kingdom of God rather than just to waste what we have. And so this is what I was gonna say as I was thinking about it. If you're looking at coming in and doing that, the best thing that you can do is honestly try and find a way to provide some sort of support for the pastor who's been faithful. They've probably been there for years, working hard, loving well, giving their best. They probably have given generously of their time and their money and their energy. The last few years, they probably had a series of head-on collisions and they're just beat up and their family's exhausted. And financially, they're probably not in a great place. And so the best thing would be be very generous to them, love them, support them, bless their family, thank them for their years of service, 
and create an honor culture where then the next leader can come in and replant that thing and get it back into orbit. And um, honestly, that's what we did at Trinity Church in Scottsdale. Some godly people built an incredible, beautiful building. It fell out of orbit. Uh, we purchased the building. We've been able to do significant renovations on it. And, uh, and we're up and to the right. And God's been incredibly gracious. So I'm hoping the joy that we've experienced as a family and church family would be for all ministry families and all church families. And I believe there is not just a great obstacle, but a great opportunity to have a complete transition in what we mean by local church ministry. And I'm excited to see how God might use you in that endeavor. We hope today's message impacted you and they will continue to bless your life and legacy for generations to come. For more Real Leaders content, visit realfaith.com slash realleaders. And to sign up to get Real Leaders content straight to your inbox, visit realfaith.com slash sign up.